You're listening to the B-Side Podcast on Brick Radio. If you like what you hear or think there's an artist or band we should have in studio, let us know in the comments. Otherwise, sit back, relax, tune in, and turn on. Does R&B still exist? I mean, like, for real, for real. This is a question lingering on the hearts and ears of many music lovers laboring through the layers of short attention span, over-auto-tuned, questionably emo content saturating these digital airwaves. But perhaps we'll come closer to an answer with the help of today's special guest, known as contemporary R&B electro-soul crooner, Ang Lo. Serving love-laden lyrics that go as deep as his falsetto goes high, with a blend of soul and synth, his style has been qualified as authentic, optimistic, and lit. I am your host, Queen God Is, welcoming you once again to the magical musical universe called B-Side, where the sounds beam with the light of a thousand Brooklyn stars, where the glow up is very real, and the vibe ain't no joke. Stay tuned, BK. Keep it close. Even though I'm awake, I still think of you. Flying me so high, the moon and Nova. If I let go, if I let go, flying me so high, the moon and Nova. Should I let go? Should I let go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your freedom was won, but it came too easy. Yeah. Oh. Not sit in the sun. Thing, thing, do you miss me? today's show a little bit differently than how I've done it in the past um, and it's going to be a, a quick duet between the two of us. Um, you ha- he's, we did not plan this. I need a little bit of a hum from you, just a little bit. They found a little courage that simmered in the sun. They blended it with patience and just a spice of fun. They poured in hope and laughter and then a sudden twist. They stirred it all together and made an optimist. I introduce you to singer, songwriter, master hummer, low-key dancer, son, brother, and poet, Anglo. <laughs> and this is something that you wrote. These are your words. Yeah, um, when I, yeah, on an Instagram poem, when I found it, I was pleasantly surprised and I thought it was a beautiful way to start the show because we do um, reference you as an R- a contemporary R&B crooner slash optimist. So that is the first question that I have for you. Um, R&B, rhythm and blues, does it still exist to you? What is it and who are some of the uh, key players in keeping that genre alive? I think it 
definitely a good question. Uh, I think it definitely uh, exists. Um, you find artists trying to keep the traditional um, R&B going. I think artists like Jasmine Sullivan, um, Chris Brown, um, Janae Aiko, uh, I feel like those artists are trying to keep R&B very traditional and mm -hmm. almost um, in like a straight line to, I guess, what it has been. But um, then and when you say traditional, do you mean live instrumentation type traditional? Do you mean the content of the the songs? What do you mean? Both. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I mean, Drake is kind of considered R and B. You know, some of his songs, but you know, okay. it's like he's not really singing. He's like speaking with <laughs> a lot of auto tune. So it's yeah. like some of his songs are considered yeah. R and B. And I think that when we start to move into that realm, it becomes. It just changes what R&B traditionally is, yeah. live instrumentation and, you know, almost pushing blues. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like because of the market, R&B is considered like almost electropop. Let's talk about electropop. When you first came on the scene and you started to flirt with the industry a bit, they wanted to brand you as electropop and you were like, hard stop, no. <laughs> What happens to R&B when you start to introduce some of these uh, digital digital instrumentation? I think it's all about the representation. Um, for me, my journey through music has always been with live bands, and I've always hired bands and always have found it very authentic to play with bands, especially R&B. But then as I moved through the industry more, I just found that I had like a special like meaning for it in my heart, and I felt that I could portray that better doing it with backing and, you know, more of an independent side, taking it more of an independent side to things. So for me, R&B grew, grew into this because it really wasn't evolving into anything else for me. Okay. Um, so you wouldn't say that it started out as R&B? It evolved into being R&B? I don't think it started out as R&B. Okay, yeah, I just think that I met up with some producers and I had some ideas and we built off of that, but their main, I guess, genre was pop, you know? Right. So it's kind of like, mm. I, I kind of latched onto them and I learned from them. Mm -hmm. And although I learned a lot of good things, I think that the R&B was always like trying to come out. Like the first studios that I went to, they were like, don't riff, you know, we don't want you to riff. No and stuff like, Yeah, they, I mean, they would, I, even like on accident, they would cut it out. Why? I don't know. I, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody say no riffing. Well, uh, a lot of times, well, you know, uh, uh, for me and finding like my own special R&B place uh, amidst like everything else, I would, I was being sent to studios, this is like way back then, they would have like these like weird structures for songs and like have this definite way of singing them and it just wasn't the mm -hmm. way that I felt, mm -hmm. you know, music should be, R&B, you know, for me should be portrayed. and. That was a lot of the reason why I, you know, started trying to do more R&B and finding like my own mm -hmm. side of R&B. Well, this is an interesting conversation. I think it'll be sprinkled throughout the night. Really briefly, before we go into the next song, into how you got your start. So you're born and raised in Tacoma, Washington. Correct. You are a military child, so mm -hmm. you moved around quite a lot before you ended up making your way to being Brooklyn-based. Mm -hmm. um, but you were singing gospel up until 17 years old, which is a fairly common story for a lot of vocalists. They were in the church, that's where they had to be, that's where they got their vocals and their relationship with music. But then at 17, you got introduced to John Mayer. That kind of shifted things. And then you got introduced to Janet Jackson. Yeah. And then you got introduced to dance hall. And yeah. then you got introduced to what you call sluttier dance hall. <laughs> and yeah, there's like, there's like dance hall and then there's like, 
dental. Right. It's like right, like okay. the sweat like box, hand girls like, on their yeah. like hands and heads face and dance like all. right. <laughs> These are his words, not mine. Um, and then we move through kind of electro pop soul into contemporary R&B. I think that's a very interesting tra- trajectory. Let's go into another song. So in 2014, you released your debut EP, Life Goes Down, and then you, in 2017, you released a single, um, Let Go, which we heard. Then you took a two-year break about that, mm-hmm. or a one and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was about One that. year, one, mm-hmm. well, yeah, it was two, a one-year break. And um, now we're coming back into 2018 with All I Remember. You classify yourself, or you've been classified as an optimistic R&B crooner. But I feel like, you know, there's some other things that happen in between that kind of um, maybe tug at that a little bit. So let's talk about that break. What happened during that break? Why that break? And how do we get to all I remember? Well, um, good question. And I I believe it's those things that happen to you in life that get you down, that turn you into an optimist. You know, there's things that, you know, just don't go your way, you know, that just you're not sure how to accept like what's happening and you are forced to like make choices that you don't know if it's the right decision or you know or if it's going to lead somewhere and for me um, that two-year break involved me kind of as I mentioned before I had to like kind of find my own sound with an R&B and I just became optimistic during that whole time I think you know there were there was a lot of lows because at times you, you just don't like know like what you're doing mm-hmm. and you know as a musician and as a freelance musician you just feel like stuck in every sometimes you just feel stuck and then sometimes the move you make you're just like is this right because I don't have money to go back and redo this <laughs> over <laughs> yes. again you know and it's question. like it's uh-huh. like um yeah but um so was would you say that this was less of a mental health break as it was a strategic business break to just kind of like, you know, reorganize? I think it was more of a strategic. Um, I was dealing with a lot of um, labels uh, before I left uh, uh, for two years and just went on my own. And just what they presented as what they thought of as like authentic and real and letting the artists have their own opinion, I just found that it really wasn't that much opinion or really wasn't that authentic you know it was Mm -hmm. more like this is who we have on our roster and because these guys have made us money you know this is who you should go to and this is not new yeah exactly something that has been happening for years um the process to not only discover your sound but to negotiate right with the machine behind you um to get to that point and so you actually said after that experience you said i was you ended up at the point where you were asking a mid-50s white guy from the suburbs about how to be more hood. Yeah. <laughs> As you said that, I started, I just like teared up. I'm just, I just thought back. It's just like, Is this what they be... were asking of you to, to, to actually be more 
quote unquote hood? It wasn't even that they wanted me to be more hood. It's just that what they thought of as like, I guess a pop artist, I wasn't. I wasn't that. So they were trying to find other outlets for me. Um, and, you know, he just mentioned one day, you know, you know, can we get something like from the streets, a little bit more hood? And he, you know, and I'm, and and I'm like, you thinking all, and I was thinking all day and, you know, like, let me see, like, you know, can if you I let could, us hear what but, I, but I wrote, <laughs> but I wrote all these songs and I wrote this song called Educate Me. It's like, you know, I was young and I was 16, never knew that I could dream. Teachers told me I could be nothing, but I'm going to prove them wrong. And it Is was this your good hood finger? Is that <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like one of those type of songs. It's like, we got to feel your attitude. And it's like. I don't mean to laugh. No, but it's funny when you look back because it's like those type of things are not meant for everyone to like portray. It's like that's just a part of who I am. Like being poor and growing up in the hood, you know, with Ratchet and Shanisha and and Raekwon. It's like that's just the way I grew up and it's not something that I actually want to relive. That's just my life, you know. And I feel like when somebody's asking you from the other side, they don't understand how hard it is to deep dive back in there and like relive all that, you know, for a song and also, and then for a song that you don't even know will be taken. It's right. like, we're just trying this out. Right. So dive deep, pull all those emotions back out. And then if we don't like it, we'll tell you. And that's another thing, when they tell you no, it's like you made me After all relive that. all that yeah. just to tell me no again, so. And not to mention that there are Shaniquas and Rayshawns that do live in the suburbs. Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so we clear about that. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> so we get to 2018, after all of that, you took your break and then you kind of came back in the indie artist scene. And this is, I think nowadays, there's this uh, glamorization of what it means to be an independent artist. And that did not always exist. Independent yeah. artists was also commensurate with um, um, eating ramen every day, uh, <laughs> negotiating between paying rent or 10 other things, yeah. you know. Um, and a lot of people think that, you know, these decisions that people are making to negotiate these qualities of living is a yeah. luxury, but really, like, if this is your calling, yeah. then it's not a luxury because we do know what happens to people when they don't answer their calling, right? So let's talk about calling real quick. How old were you when you knew that this was your calling? Is this your calling? How did you answer? I do believe this is my calling. Um, and I, I started when I was young. I started singing when I was young. And I would just get all the parts in the play at school and I would get like the solos in my church choir. And it just seemed like that thing that I was good at. Like I wasn't good in school, I didn't get good grades, but I passed everything because I write in, knew that I could sing and I was going to be in the play so it's like I passed everything because of like the plays in school and I, I knew in high school that being on stage or being creative in some way musically it was for me. Um, I also knew that you, you know early on when you can't work for somebody. It's like you have a little bit of an attitude problem, somebody says something to you, what? You know it's like your boss, your boss can't tell you, can't come, come at you the wrong way and all certain types of things. So I knew early on that I needed to have some type of independent, you know, freelance work where I could build for my, that I could build for myself. Um, and I probably knew that when I started, yeah, like I said, working, working in other people's like places. I think my first job growing up was at Burger King, and I've read the manager after like three months, like you would make that burger that way. I don't do it. Man. <laughs> well, let, let, let's stop there. <laughs> 
to all the people at Burger King and any job with King. an attitude because you don't want to be there. We hope that you feel inspired um, and motivated keep, and find a pathway there, to, stay to do what you got to do. And learn how to balance that. Learn balance. And your creative. And then find your way back to your purpose. Yeah. Give it up for Anglo. <laughs> We're going to go into the next song called Daydreaming. performance are very much a big part of your experience, your work. They mean a lot to you. You want to make sure that you're honing your craft in terms of how you deliver it um, and then also how you're sharing it on digital media. And so I've been watching your videos. And for those of you at home who get to do a quick search and look up some of these videos, some of the videos are, I wouldn't say dark, but they have a melancholia to them to a degree. And I'll tell you what I mean. Um, there's a lot of cemeteries happening, especially in the All I Remember video. Um, and then also in that video, there's this a bear, which I want to mm -hmm. talk about, and then blood. Can I surmise that there's an image of like a letting go or a death somehow that you're evoking? And is it not like the, the grim death, but is it the death that of shedding something? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little literal and it's a little bit of what you're saying. It's like about shedding off this layer of weight that you don't need anymore, whatever that may be, love or old jobs or who knows, just like mm -hmm. the weight, just let it go. And I, I use that song, Let Go, um, a lot, right? And I've been told Let Go. I think that people listen to it and they just like, it's just like, just let it go. It's kind of a release. and. Mm -hmm. For me, that's special because I, I don't think I wrote the song with that intention. I think I wrote it with more of a, what you said, kind of this dark, coming from this dark, you know, love lost place. Um, but then the more I listened to it, it was just, it could have been applied to so many more uh, aspects of like life and mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, let's talk about love and love lost. Is love your muse? Uh, is it kind of like something that just happens in the music because you're inspired by the sound of whatever you're hearing is um, love an actual are you in the midst of love when you're writing these mm -hmm. songs unrequited love what is what is the relationship with love so for me love has always been um, like kind of a fantasy kind of like a story tale I didn't really uh, know what love really is coming from outside of like your immediate family I, I guess um, you know, we say, like, I love you, oh, I love you, girl, I love you, dude, you know, whatever, and it's just, like, whatever, but I think that my experience with love was 
there was never really an experience growing up. Okay. Um, my mom was against dating, so even my sister, she didn't like start dating until she was like 22 or something. Um, so we didn't really have that connection. So as I grew older and just appreciated what I saw in movies and from other people, the 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 I guess art of being able to tell a story about love is what I was yeah. fascinated with. Would you say you came from a strict household? Very. Okay. Yeah. Um, did it feel like, uh, you know, like for the kids who grew up in a strict household and then they go to their first year of college and they just wow out? Was it that kind of like journey into music, just like, I'm free? Was for it my that? sister was. Oh, my okay. sister just went to college and she was just, she just went in. Um, <laughs> having an appreciation for music as a child, but not being able to listen freely was like a thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would sneak and be listening to like, I remember one day my mom caught me listening, there's no lie, come listening to uh, the Pocahontas soundtrack <laughs> under you my bed. You would take it what you could get? Yeah, I would take, and I seriously, I, I, it was a tape, a cassette yeah. tape, uh -huh. and it was, my cousin that had so gotten nice. it. I remember I had snuck it, and I got, and she caught me, and I got in trouble for listening to that. And I just remember little experiences like that that made like, me when I got out of uh, my my place, just like oh my god, music everywhere, everything I heard, mm -hmm. I loved, and everything, every studio I went to, I was just like adapting and clinging on to every sound, and it was a special time. Uh, and, and but coming from that and not really having love, it was like um, this kind of do uh, experience where it's like I'm learning how to write about love because it's something that mm -hmm. I see, and at the same time I'm learning how to like put those words into a song. So it was like a really special time and So what was like the moment like when you music. told your parents that you wanted to do this? I told my mom, so my, my parents are separated, but I told my mom in high school, she knew um, that I wanted to do music full time because I would always skip school and come to auditions yeah. in New York and I would just miss a lot of school. From Washington? Uh, uh, no, I had moved to uh, Middletown, New York by then. Yeah, okay. so I, I, live, I was living in Middletown, which is about two hours away, and I would take uh, the bus up here every week to audition. For what kind of stuff? Um, musical theater, and I, I did a lot of theater, and I did um, Fame and Joseph and the Technicolor Dream. What kind of audition can you land as a child who's cutting school and leaving home? That, <laughs> what kind of audition can you get that makes that okay with your parents? Um, I think that um, it has I, they to be had for Beyonce or something. Well, like. they both were summer stage. Oh. So I would audition during the year and then do them over the summer. Oh, okay. gotcha. um, <laughs> got, it, got it. So all right. So no complete heart attacks. Yeah. I want you to finish the statement. If I weren't doing music, I'd be... Uh, I think I would just travel all the time. Traveling? Yeah, How I think... How would you fund that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so that might be the I first just, answer. I think that... Well, okay, I, I don't know if people know this, but I like went to culinary school and I'm a trained chef, chef and okay. I, I cooked for a long time, so I would probably be in the culinary field. Um, I, I still like to throw down the kitchen very often. Um, really quickly, what's the difference between cooking up something in the kitchen and cooking up something in the studio? I don't think there's much different. Each thing you cook up is gonna be for the soul. Hey, so. and on that note. <laughs>
That was, is you with it? Is you with uh, it? The question is, who are you talking to? Okay. <laughs> 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 yep. Um, so that was in, uh, I think I was trying to get with a guy a long time ago. And for me, I had always been the fat kid. And Where? Then, when I was younger, oh, I mean, I was like really? pushing past like 2.30 and like ninth grade. So there is a shedding theme happening in yeah. there, but that's neither here nor there. Okay, keep going. Yeah, but I think that Easy Witted was just about like coming into this type of confidence where it's like, you know, I know I'm good. Like, you good? Are we, can we do this? Like, and it was such a long time before I could like build up that type of confidence to like approach. How old were you? 15. Oh, when I wrote this? Y well, oh, well, I wrote this like a year and a half ago. Well, but when you were having that experience. Oh, yeah, like 16. 16. Yeah. So let's talk about sexuality and uh, gender and how comfortable are you talking about um, sexuality in general in your work? and then using the lyrics to reference specifically your, your experience. Okay. I think that <clears throat> for work, I'm always very conscious because I think that I always try to write from a place that everyone can understand mm -hmm. and have, ev have my songs be accessible to everyone. When you say understand, do you mean accept? Relate. Relate. I have one song in my whole catalog that I reference she, which is yes. Can't Describe Her. Yes. And that's the only song that I have in my whole catalog that I um, identify gender or identify yeah. any type of person I'm talking about. Say the title um, again, just in case anybody didn't. Uh, can't Describe Her can't is that song. Can't Describe Her. Correct. Was that a conflict to write that song or was it? When I wrote that song, it was more about the artistic approach and I just found that it just felt better to say her and I don't know why and I didn't it was I mean everybody in the industry knows like I'm I don't and uh, back to your other question uh, yeah I don't I don't have any problem talking about uh, being gay or my or gender or anything like that um, I think that everybody knows but I think that when I'm writing I'm conscious about it more for other people because not everybody has evolved as much yeah. as everyone else and you just want people to be able to feel like they are part of that story. What do you feel like is the role of the artist, particularly your role as an artist, in helping people to evolve, not only conversations and experiences, but um, acceptance? Hmm, that's a good question. And I think I've always struggled with that. You sort of feel, after you've been doing this for a while, that your platform should be for a cause or for something. But then on the other hand, it's like, I fought so hard for like this little small business and would that cost take me away from like what I initially wanted to do? Would it become like a thing? And I had I guess I never wanted it to be a thing because it wasn't a thing to me like. Mm. You don't want it to shroud what, well what was the original goal? To just write songs. To just write songs, to whether it was for song. yourself or other people. Correct, mm. correct. I guess I never wanted that to be a part of my music in a way that people would be able to identify it as being part of my music. Well, there seems to be a movement 
in your work, whether it's conscious or not, to make Because I'm guilty. As we're talking, it's like, you know, you feel this. It's like, I should I, I think should we all talk are. about and it. And I but think it's because not. sometimes these moments happen so fast yeah. that, you know, we don't really have a moment to pause and think and say, am I being authentic in this moment? Um, and who am I being authentic for? Right. Or I'm um, guilty for not right. trying to be authentic enough. And, and I bring enough, this up because I had a recent experience. I was singing karaoke, and, um, you know, karaoke can be awesome. It also can be ridiculous. But <laughs> you're singing a song, and you're singing the words that come up on the screen. And the words are to a pronoun that not, may not necessarily, I, I may not necessarily identify with singing to that right. pronoun in that way. And I was like, and I found myself at first changing the pronoun. And I'm like, well, what am I doing that for? We all and, have uh, done you that. Know, we've all <laughs> done Everybody that. And I, thought, I think it's such a special moment to be in a platform where we can actually address it and talk about it. Yeah. How serious is it? How important is it? And I think it does become important when we use language or don't use language to perpetuate oppression. Yeah. I always feel get guilty because I don't. I mean, there's so many artists that I feel don't also, and I think it's like you're just kind of scared almost to be that person. Like, I look at like the platform that people that are much more higher than me, I guess, um, like Sam Smith or, you know, Frank Ocean. It's like they don't do the same thing, but you know what they're talking right. about, but yeah. it's like, What's stopping us from actually saying? Is it like sales or is it like management? Um, sometimes it's fear, maybe. Yeah, sometimes fear. it is money and sometimes it's pressure and then yeah. sometimes it's because it ain't nobody's business. And, right, right, <laughs> you know, right, right, right. And I think that, you know, when you become a public figure or face, people feel like they automatically have access to whatever it is they want to know about you. And I think it is important to reserve some sacred space. That said, let's go into another side of the coin. So we're talking about sexuality and gender, but then there's also issues of um, race and class and all these things. And you said, we try our hardest to stay positive. We give what them what they ask for, for staying silent for a while, avoiding bringing race into music conversations, not wanting to point out the obvious, because you don't want to be that black musician that complains about black issues. Absolutely. Really quickly, talk about that. Um, I wrote that, um, I remember that blog post I wrote, and I, I just, I was going through things with the labels, and there were artists that were right alongside of me, that we were in the same management team, and they would always give them play and not me. And I'm like, and you know, the industry, they will tell you straight out, oh, if you're a white girl, you know, you're like surefire, you're gonna be blasted to the top. You know, people are very um, into working with you because you know, they know that's an easy market to sell. You know, so I had like all of these white people on a team and then I was the only black one. And it's like, they're not singing better than me. They're not coming for me in a video. They're not, they're not doing like nothing. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, what is the difference? I remember sitting down with my manager one day and just going all over all of this. And I was like, if they're not taking me on, there has to be one reason because they don't see me as a profitable thing, you know? And I was just telling him like, what about my fellow artists? They're not younger, they're not better, it's not anything. And they and they was giving they were giving him like deals back to back. And there's only one difference. It's because, you know, of the color of my skin. And I don't want to be that person that says it, but it's the obvious. And it's, yeah. Everybody, <laughs> let's take this collective deep breath. <sighs> I'm only stopping you there because we want to get these other songs in here um, and we want to give the audience a chance to decompress. Um, we're going Sorry there. to bring you down. These are, no, 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 no. Sometimes yeah. by revealing the weights, we get a chance to kind of lift ourselves yeah. up. And that said, give it up for Anglo as we go into the next song. 
Um, it's called Home Too Soon. Thank you. Anglo, um, speaking of home too soon, we got to go home soon. Oh. And so we got to wrap up. I'm going to dedicate this last song to your mom. Is it Deborah or Deborah? Deborah. Deborah. Yeah. You'll see why. Smooth, powerful, orgasmic. These are three words that he's used to describe his own sound. And as we wrap up today's episode, I am inclined to say that he may just have some new fans who totally agree. Thank you, Anglo and the crew, for joining us in the studio tonight. We wish you love and much more for all that the journey has in store. And if y'all want more of these B-side vibes, check out past episodes on youtube.com slash BrickTV and also on our podcast at soundcloud.com slash B-side podcast. Or just come on by the studio and get a dose of these live vibes up close. I am your host, Queen God is, wishing you all a powerful, commemoration of black history, present, and future. We love you, Brooklyn. Till next time. Give me time. The B-Side Podcast is produced by Charlie Hoxie, Keisha Alon Cole, Ro Johnson, and Sasha Mathias. Recorded by Onel Moulet and edited by Emily Bogosian. For more information on B-Side and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio. When you're outside of trouble, when I'm just away to fix your mistakes. Yeah, don't tell me to decide, I just want to take my time right now. Tomorrow, don't be troubled. Even though it's cousin.